This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I was excited to see that actor. I like him a lot. Rest in yeah, peace. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Unfortunately. Rest, or rest sadly died recently. I think this movie did it to him. More recently than that. He died 2021. He's just waited seven years and said, I can't take it anymore. The weight wore him down. I don't know if that's an acceptable joke or not. I think I like to think he would he'd appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> because there's no way anybody can be proud of this movie. <laughs> the remake is so bad. You're on Midnight Local, the podcast from How to Drink, where we just talk about things. Movies. Uh, pop culture. Maybe some video games. That too. All the things. The things. The stuff and things. All of the stuff and the things on Midnight Local. Let's get to it. Today on Midnight Local, we're going to talk about RoboCop, one of the greatest movies of all time. All time. I don't know about that. It is pretty good. It's really good. So you saw, I made you watch RoboCop for the first time the other, the recently. What'd you think? Quite good. Yeah. Isn't it an amazing movie? Yes. So I feel like if there's two sides to Paul Verhoeven, yeah. I have seen the other side of Paul yes. Verhoeven and you have seen this side of him. So like what yes. I mean by that is Showgirls, Basic Instincts, movies that I grew up on through my 20s. Basic Instinct is a remake of a movie he had actually made um, in Denmark because he's a Danish director. Uh, the, the Fourth Man. I didn't know that. Yeah, we had to watch it in film school. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, and then nobody knew it was the uh, it was the original Basic Instinct until we got to the end. We we're like, oh. I see. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I learned he was Dutch because I guess Dutch, he 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 wasn't going to. He didn't upon first reading. He didn't want to make RoboCop because he thought it was just another like shoot 'em up cop movie. And oh, I, I didn't guess, know that. And he made it better. Well, I guess his wife got her hands on the script and said, no, 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 read it again. There's more to this. And I guess because English wasn't his first language, he used I to see. read scripts with dictionaries and it was, he would miss a lot. So I think she kind of helped him to understand 
what was what she was reading between the lines, so to wow. speak. So I think that I want to set that up too, right? Like a lot of people, I'm going to assume that even though RoboCop was an institution in my childhood, that it probably wasn't a big deal to a lot of kids like that are potentially listening to this. A lot of people who are who are hopefully listening to the pod. Hopefully, there's a lot of people listening to the pod, and just a lot a lot of people and that we have a huge hundreds of thousands. Yes. There's a plethora of you out there for whom I can apply this to that. Maybe you haven't seen RoboCop. So I ran a little poll on our, uh, a little poll. What a, what a shitty way to say something. I ran a poll on our, I ran a little poll on our YouTube and, uh, about what movies we should do coming up and RoboCop ran away with it. Oh, that's fascinating. Even with newer stuff on the list, I had D and D on there. I had, uh, yeah. everything, everything, everywhere at once, karate kid and RoboCop. And it ran away with it. Oh, wow. 41% it. of the vote. So, Whoa. Yeah. Wow. That's huge. Well, I just want to say that, like, I, I don't think you, if you haven't seen it, you might think RoboCop is a stupid movie about a robot cop doing stupid action cop stuff. And actually RoboCop is a genius top notch satire of American capitalism and like police fascism. (laughs) Like it is a, uh, it's an incredible movie um, to not be slept upon. Do not sleep upon the RoboCop. Do you want to, before we get deep into that, do you want to do some of the stats? Show me the, the stats. stats. All right. 19, me with them stats. 1987. Should we, should we housekeep? Should we housekeep? Let's housekeep before the stats. <laughs> before we get to the stats, we're supposed to do housekeeping. <laughs> Meredith, housekeep with me. All right. Well, you can find us on YouTube if you want to see our smiling faces while we are talking. Yeah. smiling compressed faces yes Uh, and we've been doing remote the last couple of episodes for a plethora of reasons and feeling it out and might stay this way we might do a mix of both i think we'll do a mix of both yeah we'll see how it goes uh and then also check us out over on the tiktok you can find us on tiktok at midnight local at midnight local and we're on youtube at youtube.com slash midnight local which is a, a primo url they don't give those out anymore that's a tough one to get. Uh, you got to have someone on the inside to get one of those. Um, <laughs> Good work, Greg. Do you have any? Uh, uh, no, you don't. Probably never mind. Uh, you don't want to make any announcements there, so we'll leave that alone. <laughs> uh, all right. Now we can do the stats. Meredith, hit me with the stats. 1987. 87. Rated R. Yeah, baby. An hour and 42 minutes. Tight. That's the way it should be. And $13 million budget. What it gross? I don't know what it gross. But it made a lot more than thirteen million bucks. It did. Yeah, I bet it was a smash because they did like four sequels, a cartoon show, a bunch of toys. Oh <laughs> uh, well, I don't think that they include all of that into. No, but to justify that, your first movie's got to be. Sure. Out oh yeah, park. absolutely, it does. Yeah. Yes, I do know, and we'll get into it later that the remake had a much bigger budget and was like comparatively a flop. It is a an atrocity. we'll get to it we'll get to it we'll get there so director paul verhoven who also directed total recall basic instincts showgirls star trip starship troopers flesh and blood flesh and blood easily overlooked amazing movie yeah i'm not as familiar but yeah those are his most familiar 
flesh and blood is like we were talking recently about like what movies would you use to introduce somebody to D? Okay. Conan the Barbarian, Flesh and Blood, and uh, the other one is Lady Hawk. Those are like my trio of D&D movies. I mean, I feel I feel like I'm like filling in all my uh, Verhoeven holes, so I guess I'll have to check that one out next. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, exactly. I think we're on a, I think this is probably the first episode of a Verhoeven <laughs> series. Just a kick. Let's see. Verhoeven <laughs> month. <laughs> it's just, we're going to rename the podcast uh, Watching Verhoeven. Yeah. <laughs> Chasing Verhoeven. Watching Verhoeven. Chasing Verhoeven. Yeah. Welcome to Chasing Verhoeven. I'm Greg. And, uh, and I'm Meredith. And, uh, and today we're talking about Verhoeven as we did last week and will again next week. So lead cast includes Peter Weller, who, so good. yeah, most, uh, I guess he's done tons of TV, not a lot of other movies, but Sons of An- Anarchy. He's in Fringe as well, although I've, I've been thinking about it and having trouble placing him. So I'm going to have to go back and watch a couple of those episodes. I gotta check out something, but I'm pretty sure you have to call him Dr. Peter Weller. Oh. Uh, yeah, he's a doctor and Italian Renaissance artist. Oh, right? nice. That's amazing. While you're there, can you look up how much this movie grossed so we don't leave people hanging? Uh, it did $53 million in box office. So that's like before you get into like home video and so- anything else. Like that's insane. Yeah. Incredibly On successful for its budget. Dollar, yeah. yeah, that's enormous. And that's just domestic as well, I assume. The over international only did seven hundred thousand, looks like. Okay. Interesting. Well, I guess, yeah, it's it's more of a, a more American story, I suppose. Then maybe it didn't get much release over there, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge hit though. So oh, don't forget also uh Michael Ferrer, who is super important in this movie. Yeah. And also, of course, Kurtwood Smith. Kurtwood Smith, who is most recognizable to me from that 70s show. Yeah, other way around. I mean, I've seen some of that 70s show, but on that 70s show, it was like, oh, shit, that guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, it makes sense. It's kind of a through line character, but man, the villains in this in this uh, movie are so creepy. So, so good. I can't imagine growing up with. Uh, Kurtwood Smith in this movie and then seeing him on that 70s show that would be quite a brain twist so this is one of those movies where I don't um, I don't think you could change any one thing and have this movie come out this way have it come out good you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. Um, like specifically in the cast the cast is so important on this and so on point, right? And I want to look up one more person because we're forgetting. Well, else. you've got Nancy Ann Allen. Thank you. Yeah. And Ronnie Cox, who's the older businessman who also is in Total Recall. Yes, he is. He plays. Uh, um, yeah, exactly. And Beverly Hill Cop, Stargate. He's in a bunch of stuff. Well-known actor. Oh, yeah. Okay. 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 Um, Ray Wise. Who's he? He's one of, um, he's one of Clarence Boddicker's gang members. And he's also one of the antagonists, for lack of a better word, in Twin Peaks. Okay. Is he the one with the high-pitched laugh? No. He's the guy who kind of looks like he's like a, a stereotypical mobster dude. Okay. Uh, and then the tagline. Are you ready? Yeah. What is it? Hit me with that tagline. Part man, part machine, all cop. There you go. Part man, part machine, all cop. I think you can tell that's the marketi- marketing team and not Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be him, but also, 
it would be a mistake to market this movie, to market this movie as a satire. Sure. You know, like it would, it would not, it would make it a not satire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it would also make sure nobody watched it. Very true. We should try and be more chronological with this one. That should be our goal for this episode. You want to talk the movie yeah, through? Yeah, why don't we try and do that as much as possible? So if I'm not mistaken, and I was thinking about this the other night, like this movie, it does open on Clarence Bodiger and his gang doing fucked up shit, right? Like, I think so, yeah. Yeah, that is the opening of the movie. They introduce the bad guy before anybody else. Which makes sense. They're setting up just the city has fallen into a crime riddled hellhole. Yeah. And not just a crime riddled hellhole, but like a futuristic, specifically cyberpunk and also a concern from the eighties. Like actually I was just tweeting about this today is that like, I, I hear from a lot of people, you know, there's always talking about like rising crime and stuff like that. Well, if you look at actual like historic levels of violent crime in America, um, it's like you're at one of the least crimey, least violent periods in American history right now. Um, and it's way down from a peak that hit in like the late eighties or um, maybe even 90, 91 or something like that. Way, way, way down. And so a concern I've heard it said uh, that one of the concerns as we approached the nineties was that we were going to enter the era of the super criminal that like mm. criminality was going to just continue to uh, uh, rise and rise and rise and rise until it was just like cartoonish. Right. And so if you do like speculative fiction and you're looking at crime rates, this is the same thing with like escape from New York, another movie we have to do here. And also the warriors, another movie we have to do here. Um, and you extrapolate that forward into the future, you get into like really just cartoonish levels of crime. Just like, what is, this is absurd. Is this even crime or is this just like spree killing? Like Clarence Boddicker could be the Joker. Like he doesn't, none of his plans seem to have anything to do with making money. They're just him running around the city, having fun psychotically. That's exactly right. Like the joy that these criminals take in just inflicting pain on the people around them. And that seems to be the point. Yeah, that's the point. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, anyway, this idea of like the mega criminal is like a feature of cyberpunk as a genre. Um, and certainly, um, this, uh, RoboCop is peak cyberpunk. This is a cyberpunk movie. Um, I think that probably some people might make an argument that like, it doesn't, there's this art. Uh, I got a lot of thoughts on cyberpunk as a genre. Some people think it's an aesthetic. I think if you're looking for the aesthetics of cyberpunk, it is here, but it's also like cyberpunk's not an aesthetic. It's a question. And that's like this movie asks it in spades that is a central premise yeah well you laid this really out really well in our david martinez episode so what is the question that you think central theme in cyberpunk right so people think that the word cyber comes from um uh, uh like cybernetics like they're thinking about like human augmentation like cyberdyne systems it's a automatic human machine melding that's not really what that means actually um cyber Netics is the study of feedback loops, right? So uh, the the quintessential cybernetic feedback loop mm -hmm. is a sensor 
that is reading an environment uh, that is also um, controlling the environment that it's sensing. So the, the example, the simple example is a thermostat. A thermostat senses your house's temperature and it adjusts your house's temperature based on what it's sensing, right? That's a loop. Um, and so the reason cybernetics and cyberpunk, and also a lot of people get caught up on punk because they think of the modern definition of punk about being like punk rock and like rebel. But like when the name cyberpunk was coined by William Gibson, as far as I've read, he was just punk, not like as a self appointed term, but like those fucking punks over there. It's like a kind of a term for like those mm. loser kids, you know, it didn't really yet mean punk rock or like cool punk stuff. Just others. It just meant um, obnoxious, dorky, just okay. obnoxious kids, like upstarts. Um, anyway, the older sense of the word. So, um, uh, uh, so the reason you get to why is the central question of cyber punk about the nature of individuality and humanity? Because that is the, the central question, right? It is. Are people, does the individual exist? How do you define an individual in our society? Is there a soul? Does free will exist? All of that kind of wrapped up into one thing. And the reason is because they've been studying the field of cyber, cybernetics. Cybernetics have been a, a field of research since like the turn of the century, since the early 1900s. Um, and actually before then, and this guy Norbert Wiener or Weiner, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, in the 60s, I think, um, kind of like had come to maybe it was the seventies, uh, like the conclusion of his, you know, a, a very startling conclusion. Um, and he was like the lead, you know, Jesus of cyberpunk, cybernetics, cybernetics. He was like the cybernetics guru. Um, and they came to a conclusion and they'd been doing all these experiments with more and more and more complicated neural networks. And, um, between things like an, uh, uh, the rheostat, um, I'm sorry, the homeostat, between experiments like the homeostat, which is really worth looking up if you have time or you're interested, um, and also like things like Conway's Game of Life and a bunch of other stuff and neural networking, which, by the way, neural networking is like a field separate to computer science, like computer science can borrow neural networking, but neural networking is actually a feature of cybernetics research. Um, you can build a neural network of completely analog components. Um, they started to see things emerging from these systems that really looked like they had free will or at the very least life. You know, you start playing around Conway's game of life and uh, the next thing you know, you're like, is life that like, is life just like a set of, governing rules that we're all playing by and then different configurations within those rules and then life or free will is an emergent property of that and he kind of concluded like yep <laughs> yes it does that's right free will's an illusion we're not really like you're you're not behind your eyes driving the car the car is driving itself and the part of you that is experiencing consciousness that's along for the ride and catching up and interpreting the car moving as it being in the driver's seat, but the car is driving itself. You're just along for the ride. Um, and that freaked a lot of people out. I bet. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, and a lot of people rejected that and they just, from what I'd read, they're like, okay, let's stop 
researching cybernetics and we're going to start computer science. We're going to create up our new field. Uh, Cause like the whole, they've been working, all of this came about out of like them working on thinking machines, what they called thinking machines. That's what it was, not computer science. The concept of thinking machines was one that Nerbert Weiner and the cyberneticists have been working on for years. And when people rejected his findings, those people said, we're going to call our work artificial intelligence. And that's where the field of AI sort of came out of like rejecting his field of thinking. Machines. <laughs> um, we don't want anything to do with that. Guy. Yeah. He's crazy. Yeah. He was right. I think he was right. <laughs> I love that description. I remember when you spelled that out in that episode, I think it's fantastic. And I, I agree, like for this movie, I don't think there's any clearer depiction of that theme oh dude he's literally not behind the wheel on the nose yeah yeah exactly exactly and i want to say too is like um well i mean we'll get into that in a second but sure i just want to finish up like there's all this stuff about ai out there right and all these people are saying like oh it's not really intelligent it just takes up things it knows it's not sentient neither are you yeah okay so that's my point is that like the way from what we understand the way that chat GPT and all these things generate ideas, the way that they come to conclusions, it's the exact same way that you do it. It's communicating in a way that is like a parrot in that it it's using words it may not fully understand the sound of, right? But the process by which it's getting to those words is, I think, and I think Norbert Weiner would agree, the same process by which you get to your words. It's just that you're still smarter than it. But that doesn't make it not an artificial intelligence. I think, um, and I don't think a lot of people like that idea. They're like, well, you can't create anything new. And it's like, neither can you. Neither can you. You just, it has perfect recall of every single influence it's ever had. Mm -hmm. You spend mm -hmm. your whole life being a human here on earth and you have all these influences and most of them, they fade into background amnesia, right? Like mm -hmm. you're constantly amnesiating huge things, but they're not really gone. They're just gone from the conscious part of your brain. You chop up those influences and regurgitate them into new orders. You are processing data the by a neural network the same way that any of these AIs are. It's just that the machinery is invisible to you and the car has convinced you that you're driving it when the car is driving you. Well, yeah, I think it would like I'm thinking about like my my instinct would be to say, but, you know, sometimes I react emotionally and I don't, you know, but I think it almost proves your point more if you think about it, because it's like, especially being someone who's been on and dealing with a lot of different hormones that have been put sure. artificially in my body in the last yeah. couple of months. Who's driving that? Oh, yeah. So basically, it's like, I am used to my levels of hormones. I am used to tempering the things that my body feels on a normal basis. But now that hormones have been introduced in my body, I've had to mm -hmm. change how I respond to my own hormones, which does put a lot of like, you are just responding, you're responding to chemicals. It's not just the information mm -hmm. that's been put in your brain. It's the chemicals that are in your body. Yeah. It's like when right. you get white hot about a thing and you don't really know why, and then you've got to sort of break that down. It, you can feel very out of control of your, of your everything, intellect, body, everything. I think in a lot of cases you really are out of control. Yeah. I mean, more than we'd like so, to believe Oh yeah, or completely play. is, I think pretty much most yeah. of it. I was diagnosed bipolar type two um, and uh, I think misdiagnosed, but it doesn't matter because it presents the same way. I've been since diagnosed as temporal lobe epileptic. They have very similar symptoms if you're not really looking for it. 
or they can. But um, if you try to like, I know I try to be very analytical about my symptoms, especially like neurological ones, because it's boy, it's hard to report on that. Like it's altering your perceptions. So how do you perceive anything about yourself objectively? And you just kind of live with that lack of objectivity. Um, and you have these like, you know, when you're bipolar, right? Like I, I, you'd have these uh, manic depressive episodes where it's like, dude, I came up with the greatest idea. I am so motivated. I got to write this thing. I'm not going to sleep. I'm going to write, 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 mm-hmm. write. This is the best idea ever. Um, and then, uh, something bad happens, you know, like, um, I, I'm trying to think of an example or whatever, like you don't like, you know, you have a phone call with somebody and it doesn't really go very well, maybe like, uh, a, a girlfriend or whatever. Um, and now you're depressed and the idea seems like shit and whatever. And here's the thing. You didn't have a great idea that triggered a manic episode. You had a manic episode and your brain, which is operating, it's building memory right? Like your experience of every moment is in the past. It's all memory, right? You wake up from a dream. It's you've experienced hours of time in that dream. It's happened in like 30 seconds. Like your brain can decide how long things happened Mm. after they happen all on its own. It reorders that. And all of a sudden, because you have to rash, we're always rationalizing where we're at all of a sudden, Oh, this thing was a trigger. That's what, that's why I'm so inspired. No, you got manic. And the last thing you were thinking about when that really took hold, boy, did that inspire your mania, but no, the mania happened first. And then you plucked this other idea out and said that was the trigger. Yeah. Same thing. Your depression happened first and then your brain rationalized it as this external thing, but it's all internal. I guess I'm very comfortable with the idea that I am like a makeup of energy and cells and that I am who I am because of everything that's happened at every molecular cellular level and that that's what I'm experiencing. I don't feel less a presence of self because I don't feel because I'm not may, might not be completely in control. I think that's really right. difficult for a lot of people to I think a lot of people don't even think about this shit. <laughs> they don't waste time thinking about it. No, I think people do, but I think it expresses itself in different ways. I mean, I think religion is a huge expression of this. There is a God. I can see what God is. I understand God. I've chosen the right God. Everything is okay. And when you say when you challenge that fact or you are challenged with a person who's agnostic or atheist or is comfortable with not understanding the origins of life or a higher power or something like that. They like people will spend all their time trying to convince you. No, 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 that can't be because I think it's just such a deeply uncomfortable. I can't live without certainty. And I've always found comfort in ambiguity. I like it very much because certainties mean that I have to follow rules that I do not want to follow. <laughs> I am very suspicious of anybody who just knows a thing. Yeah. <laughs> very, yeah. Agree. Uh, yeah. I think we could extrapolate that and get really off topic if we want to talk about the illusion of certainty and control. But yeah, I think that a lot of, I think, and I just want to point out Robocop, a real thinking man's movie. Obviously. <laughs> well, clearly, I mean, we're having this conversation yeah. based out of this movie and like I knew I knew that we would all of his movies. He's it's just so he taps into something deep 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 in your he lizard brain. To. I don't know what happened to him after. Yeah, right. But even like <laughs> there's some staying power. Even Showgirls has tapped into that with some I people. Really should see like that movie. it, it is see that. it is not this movie and it is not a brilliant movie by any means, but boy does it tap into some mental, emotional, reactive yeah. part of people. 
Yeah. Well, we should actually talk about RoboCop, right? Sure. Uh, okay. Right now, we've been chewing around the edges of cyberpunk. I'm so very excited to continue talking about it. But okay, let's get back I, well, on Well, it'll it. come back. Sure. Yeah. So you've got the crime wave. I've only seen this movie once, and it's been a couple of days. But the first scene that sticks up sticks out in my mind is the office conference room scene where they're unveiling the ed209 yes is there a lot between the opening crime no. wave and that okay uh actually and i, I it might even the ed209 scene might be the opening scene of the movie actually um i'm not really sure i, don't think, I it think it opens on bodiger and then it goes to ed209 um which is a huge robot that omnicorp wants to put onto the streets of Detroit where the movie takes place. Looks kind of like an ATST. Oh yeah. Yeah. And we loved ED 209 when I was a kid. It was so cool looking. Uh-huh. Um, they got those crazy machine gun arms and stuff. And it's got that very intimidating voice. Please comply. You know? Um, and then it, you find out what world we're in immediately when it just rips to shreds, to shreds, to shreds, you say, uh, a, a guy in the boardroom and throws him out of the window and, uh, and everybody's just mostly business as usual, a little bit shocked, but you know, immediately Michael Ferrer is like, you know, this wouldn't have happened if we'd gone with my project robo. And they're just in the corner talking like, Oh man, this is a setback. I'm really disappointed in you. And it's just yep. like, yep. Whoa. So I heard about that scene that like, I guess it was cut down at some point. Um, because oh. Verhoeven felt like, you know, you start watching that scene, the you've got the countdown happening. You know this guy's yeah. gonna die. The tension is building, they start to get shot, which is very shocking. But he keeps the shooting going long enough that it passes from shocking to like not quite com- comical, but outlandish. No, yeah. So yeah, it becomes it a caricature, it becomes yes. a satire, right? And yeah. I guess that the network really wanted him to cut that down because it was too gory. And he's he told them, like, you were making this more gory by cutting it down because you're removing oh. the satire and you're making it more real yeah. and more traumatizing. And if you keep yeah. it going relentlessly, then yeah. it breaks that uncanny valley maybe like it puts you in the uncanny valley i don't know if that's the right way to use that but it, it takes you out of your reality yeah i mean like in action movies when you shoot the bad guys they fall down and die they don't fall down start having a seizure foam at the mouth shit their pants and beg for their mothers for another 45 minutes you know well it rarely does the the thing that's killing them continue to just unless you're in a yeah. scene where someone's just lost it and they're beating the shit out of someone or something like that as i say in the verhoven influenced realm of like late 80s early 90s action movies lots of people got shot a lot by machine gun. Yeah. I also read about him that he saw a bunch of violence as a kid and the yeah. way he would deal with it was by making it cinematic in his brain. Yeah. Which is why he's continued that into his work. He grew up in World War II, yeah. if I'm not mistaken, I think. Yeah, exactly. Um, just a lot of violence. <laughs> just a lot of nondescript violence. Yes. Yeah. No, but um love that. It it sets up the world so well. And that's Another cyberpunk thing, the idea of just like corporations operating outside the realm of the law as demonic, feudal nightmare companies like today, Um, just like murdering each other with impunity like today. Although, although actually, really, that's kind of a throwback to the 50s and 60s when you have like the Banana Republics and the CIA helping Coca-Cola out and all that shit. 
also want to point out it's it's omni consumer products is the division if i'm not mistaken of omnicorp uh that winds up uh creating robocop if i'm not mistaken it's omni consumer products um which is so um extremely innocuous right i love that also i loved this is a little to the side of this topic i love the stop motion oh i've never been a fan of the harryhausen look but like i'll i can tolerate it yeah oh i love it it just feels i mean for nostalgic reasons it just sure. feels so tangible and um anyway but yeah i mean nothing is going to get in the way of the almighty dollar. Like humans are just so expendable at this point. And I'll buy that for a dollar. Yeah, I'll buy that for a dollar. <sighs> but they're going to rush whatever they have to market, no matter who it might hurt. They're not going right. to worry about it. This just tells you everything you know about everything that could go wrong, all of the looming trouble. Yes, all of the bad things that can happen. Well, and on top of it, now you've got an older and younger businessman competing yeah, yeah. against each other yeah. to get their thing on the street and in the public and to win this battle of i don't know who gets who gets their product completed first one of the things i really liked about this movie and i don't know how much we want to get into comparison to the remake yet but i, I guess we may as well just throw it in there as we go um these are just regular business guys these are dudes who go play golf on the weekend. They're just dudes with a couple of nice suits who have an office downtown. Maybe they've got a, you know what I mean? Like they are living high on the hog, but they're not like, you know, there's a corporate plane. They're not all flying around in private jets and helicoptering out, you know? And then you look at the re and, and so they're, they're like, what he's saying is just like, yeah, yeah. You're regular. The guys that are at the country club are the devil. Just yeah. the regular run-of-the-mill corporate guys are monsters. In the remake, they throw that out. It's only this billionaire guy. It's yeah, Michael Keaton. It's yeah. So far out of the realm of like just the standard. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and the doctor is trying to do right. Like right. Robocop doesn't have that. The doctors in wrote in the original Robocop are fucking scumbags. Yeah, they're just celebrating putting this it's it's electric vehicles to to an extent right we're gonna get these like on market and out on the street as fast as possible who, who cares who gets hurt in the process you don't like electric cars oh sorry not electric self-driving that's what i okay, mean okay cool sorry sorry cool, sorry, sorry, cool. sorry not evs sorry <laughs> delete delete <laughs> no uh uh you anti-electric car now no 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 it's the feeling i get around self-driving yeah. vehicles like and and elon musk in particular with self-driving vehicles that specifically plays into the remake though yeah exactly because like it's it's a musky yeah thing. um i have a slightly self-driving car love it assist fine but like the idea yeah. of going to sleep at the wheel not quite there yet no that's insane but you're also to elon's defense you're not supposed to do that it says it right there but sure <laughs> not that i like i have no love for that guy i just don't think we need to uh well what's another example of this race to get something into consumers hands that's damaging a perfect example not perfect just another example uh what's that stuff uh uh, th uh thermidol thermidol shit what does it do it was a drug that they came out with after world war ii 
um, in order to uh, thimidolide. I mean, pharma does this constantly. This is oxy, all of that stuff. Thalidomide. Yeah, thalidomide is a perfect example of this. A drug that hit the market in the UK primarily post-World War II to help women dealing with morning sickness who were pregnant. It had absolutely nothing to do with treating morning sickness. That was not its function when it was developed. Its function was to be an addictive narcotic. Mm. It was developed during World War II by Nazis who had a, you know been rehabilitated. They did not have the they didn't go to the tribunals and and wind up in prison um after the war they said you know these ig farben guys said uh okay well we've got this product who can we sell it to well what does it do yeah it kind of it's 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 real addictive good love that Mm -hmm. and it kind of um it kind of makes you feel like you're not feeling so bad it makes you feel good oh okay great uh, who always feels bad? What market always feels bad? Women who are, are have morning sickness. Cool. We'll make it. We'll just call it a, a drug for morning sickness. Rush it to market, and they rush it to market, and uh, like an entire, um, a small subset, an entire generation. It basically um, caused severe birth defects. Um, like basically, from the minute you started taking thalidomide, you halted uh, fetal development. And so you could, they could tell by like, well, how much of this kid's hands were finished? Can we, we can see when they like, started taking it, when they started taking it. Yeah. Oh my God. Um, and there's like a, there's just off the top of my head. Perfect yeah. example. Well, pharma feels particularly evil when it comes to these things, because it's like with RoboCop, it's like that we're going to have good intentions. And then some people might accidentally get hurt, but in the name of progress and pharma's like, no, we know this is going to kill people, but put it in as many hands as possible before it does. I like to think that most of the pharma industry wants to help people, but these guys were legit Nazis. Uh, and I'd throw the Sacklers under that same bus as being just Nazis. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Um, but not all of them. I don't know. I think I, I'm, I'm okay with medicine. <laughs> not all of them. I've, I'm recently have w- had watched the show about the Sacklers and man, are they a special? Ooh boy, they are just evil people. Yeah. Special kind of evil. Yeah, they are. They really are. Yeah. They belong in RoboCop. They do. Uh, so we get RoboCop. Oh, no. And then we move to the, the police station. We finally meet Alex. Mm-hmm. Um, he's going to work. I don't know if we see him at home before he goes to work, but we see him at the police. No, do we? I don't. We might see his wife, but I don't remember like clocking that he had a kid until he described his kid liking to his partner. Yeah. And the way the yeah. gun draw and yeah, yeah how, how he wants to like be I like I love yeah. that. Mm-hmm. It's so good. It's such a wonderful piece of character work. It's you may never brilliant. see them outside of flashbacks. I think there is one scene. Okay. Where he's on his way to work. But I, I mean, honestly, I'm working off memory and we're not going to have the movie up to, to play this. But yeah, we, I want to think, I think that this is probably lost on a lot of people who are modern, watching this through a modern lens. The police station is a science fiction nightmare. You go in there and the cops are all wearing mm-hmm. riot gear on a day to day basis. Now cops wear armor every single day. Um, but back then, that's like crazy. Mm, like that mm-hmm. is like, wait, 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 wait. These guys are suited up for war. Um, they're wearing helmets. They're driving um, like blacked out high speed. Uh, you know, like, I mean, they look like K cars, but like everything about them is hyper militarized in a way that to audiences in 1987, this would have been very clearly a uh, a glance into some nightmare future. 
Um, and so I, I worry that that's kind of lost on people. Uh, we meet Alex Murphy, his partner. He's from a cop from another department. He's coming in. He, he's he's a new guy. There's uh, some fun moments. Who's going to drive? I'm going to drive. Let's go get a hot dog. Okay. Like you got your buddy cop moments. We got the laser thing, man. Um, Commander laser with the gun. Oh, yeah, exactly. Which you were talking about, about his kid loving it and how he's practicing. Stuff. I know, that which comes is back an, so good. an insane thing to do. A good way to shoot yourself. <laughs> I mean, I, I know people personally who practice that. Um, but uh, there's a whole thing called um, uh, cowboy action shooting competitions. And sure. Like, that's yeah, like a whole yeah. thing. Yep. Yeah. That's like a part of it and shoot from the hip real fast. And Yeah. Right. Quick draws. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like they go to competitions for it. And I think that, you know, that's a big part of it as well. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's crazy. But also I want to point it's it's crazy. Uh, I'm showing my inner gun guy. It's very crazy with a semi-automatic pistol uh because it's it's easy to pull the trigger accidentally with like a single or double action revolver it's a little less crazy but still kind of crazy yeah. and, and then they they go after Clarence Bodiger they run into Bodiger and horrifically murder Alex Murphy our main character mm-hmm. he is dead he dies and we see there's a director's cut we've got the cleaned up version of it i guess it's oh in order to make it rated R, they had to cut down. Even worse. Yeah. Well, and what's really creepy about that scene and what they added back in more of was just like the laughter and the just the fun yeah. that they're having, just tearing his body it, yeah. apart with bullets. Yeah. Shooting his hand off, shooting his, his arm, arm off. off. His yeah. Knee. I mean, it's brutal. It is brutal. It is horrific. And also, too, this is one of those things. Um, what's the guy's name? The actor? I cannot remember actors names usually Kurtwood uh, Smith. right Kurtwood Smith Clarence Bodiger um I, if I'm not mistaken I saw it like in a special feature his I it was his idea to wear glasses mm, why make it he thought what's uh, it, it, smart is scary I see so he's just he's not your run-of-the-mill tough guy he's yeah, yeah yeah he wanted his character to be more like a smart dude yeah um who wore the glasses and uh, uh he I mean I mean he brought so much to that performance you know and then Alex is dead. And what, like three months later, he's being woken up as RoboCop. Right. We keep seeing flashes of the office, Laboratory their office stuff, parties yeah. as, they're, as they're celebrating. Building him, him and everything. Yeah, his, yeah. his achievements or a New Year's party or something like that. All from his perspective. Yeah. All inside his helmet. Love that. So good. So good. So good. Yep. It's brilliant. Um, and now we have RoboCop. And he is... Is he a man? Is he a machine? Is he Alex? Yeah, exactly. It's a ghost story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and what's interesting is it's like a, it's a it's a doubled reversed ghost story, right? So they wake him up, they install him in the police station. He's going to be the super duper duper cop. Uh, he's going to stop all the crime. Hooray, huzzah! And what's his first like mission? There's like a montage where he just goes around busting criminals on the street because for for a little while you feel a little bit of a sense of relief like this is effective he's he's like almost like superhero-ish like oh he is moment i mean he yeah. definitely yeah he definitely is a superhero and as a kid you know the satire was lost on us when we watched it we saw robocop's a superhero he's cool i think when people watch this movie they see different movies <laughs> you know i think yeah. some people watch this movie and just see like superhero movie it's some people right see other things at this point actually what robocop is up to is dealing with his 
the fact that he's a, a ghost. Yeah. Um, and he's busting low level criminals. Mm-hmm. And the the actual drama is Dick Jones, Bob Morton, and Clarence Bodiger. That's like the the actual drama of this thing right now. That's the conflict. It's it's R- Dick Jones and Bob. Dick with his ED two hundred nine project, furious that Bob has undercut him. Mm-hmm. Um, they're at each other's throats. Clarence Bodiger, uh, we don't know it yet, but he works for Omnicorp. Mm-hmm. He's in the employ of Dick Jones, uh, and he shows up to assassinate Bob Mort. Kills him. Yeah, kills him when he's there with those two girls. Bitches leave. Do they leave? Good for them. That's that's no. Kurtwood Smith comes in, and that's what he says. Oh, he Clarence tells Bodiger, them to leave. He opens the door. There's a beat, and he just says, "Bitches leave." Wow, <laughs> he feels very confident in his ability to get away with it then, because he would not let them leave if he was at all concerned that he he could be identified and arrested. Well, he's. I mean, he is not. He's yeah, the Joker. He's exactly. never once concerned with that ever in the film mm-hmm. at all. Uh, because he's untouchable. He's got the Omnicorp behind him. Well, and they own the police as well. Like Omnicorp owns the police. Yes, they had they had bought the police. I forgot about yeah. that. That's right. Yeah, they had specifically owned the police. Which is why uh, Robocop, what's the name of his partner? Uh, um, Anne Lewis. Why her character, I think, is so important and kind of completely cut out of the second film. She's kind of replaced by another character, but... She is. His name is Lewis. <laughs> Kind of though he does he's different though she's sort of the unshakable moral compass of this movie yeah he's a good guy he's in the hospital and then at the end when uh robocop assaults omnicorp tower he shows up with a bunch of other cops to uh, uh protect robocop and then he gets shot and robocop looks at him and explains like after somehow his brain he can sense it just says non-lethal on his he looks at him and like non-lethal comes up because he can just determine yeah that's not lethal under no circumstances is that a lethal wound moving on he says you're gonna be fine lewis and he he goes on all right i wonder what i'm mixing that up with because i thought in my head the the chief is uh a corrupt cop yeah so maybe that's where you're getting tripped up on it yeah maybe the character called lewis in the remake is a male guy he's he's a guy no, I know who Lewis is. Yeah, I was excited okay. to see that actor. I like him a lot. Rest in yeah, peace, me too. unfortunately. Or sadly me died too. recently. I think this movie did it to him. More recently than that. He died 2021. He just waited seven years and said, I can't take it anymore. The weight wore him down. I don't know if that's an acceptable joke or not. I think I like to think he would he'd appreciate that <laughs> uh, because there's no way anybody can be proud of this movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> the remake is so bad. Anyway. I, the main thing to me is that like, there's a really good back and forth play between all of these power brokers, right? They're all killing each other. The action really moves. Like it never, you never are waiting for anything to happen in this movie. It is, this leads to that because of this reversing that undoing this. And then therefore this, and like every beat is perfectly placed, timed, executed the acting in this movie is great the performances are fantastic it's a it's not a i mean like for a dumb action movie which it isn't it's how we've i think we've put that to bed but like damn man these guys are fucking killing it in this movie specifically too i want to point out peter weller has to act without his face throughout most of this movie right just the just batman here. the batman effect yeah but extra extra emotionless extra no eyes yeah 
lot of body work, you know, like halting movements, like, oh shit, you know, that kind of stuff. I love the scene when he goes to his old house. Yes. Well, one thing you notice about, cause it's like a not so distant future. They sort of say there's a, there's yep. a, a thing at the beginning and you feel that. And then also I love, um, what is it? It's like, it's the house is for sale and there's just like a, a printout, like a receipt that tells you about the house or whatever when he shows up. Right. Like comes out of like a receipt machine, a printer. It's very uh, back to the future. Like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, haunted by the memories of his own family. Right. Like he's the ghost, but he experiences el- all the elements of his former life as if they are ghosts. Yes. Right. Well, so yeah. he has the dream. Yeah, that's right. He has, he, he, well, I think he arrests, he goes to arrest the one member of Bodiger's gang who says, Oh my God, we killed you. And he gets away. And then he has the dream that triggers it. And then he wakes up and decides to investigate his own. Right. Death. His own death. Yeah. Interesting. I'm just realizing now that there's like a, um, the ghost face killer, which is a, uh, 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 like a subgenre of Japanese samurai story. Um, mm-hmm. what is it? The one, um, oh man, it's not, is it high plains drifter? High plains drifter. I think the one, uh, it's, it's a Clint Eastwood movie. I like a lot where he's kind of a ghost who comes back to take revenge on the town, but like, it's real subtle. Um, this fits that archetype where he's like a get, he's a ghost kind of investigating his own murder. Um, never thought about that before just now. Very cool. Yeah. Haunted by the ghosts of his family while also being a ghost. I really like that kind of the circular mm-hmm. nature of that. I love that. Well, and this is where the superhero kind of turns. It turns into a slightly uh, into the more concerning side of this at this point. Why so? What, what do you mean? Well, we just know that he's having unpredictable memories that right. are leading him to hunt down these criminals. And I, at that point, I'm not sure if he will kill anyone who gets in his path. Right. If he will become dangerous to anyone who, yeah, like is just like if there will be friendly fire, like we don't know at what lengths he'll go to and how much of him is even there and how much of this will just be an obsession. So any, any sort of relief or comfort that you felt by having this, all this tough cop come in and be able to like start putting criminals away, uh, goes away very quickly at that moment for me. Oh, that's interesting. I, I I don't, I totally hear what you're saying. I'm, I'm pretty surface level by this point. Mm -hmm. I'm like along for the ride. So when we get RoboCop deciding to go after the guys who turned him into RoboCop, I'm on board. Oh. Like I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm yeah, definitely damn, on board, but also I'm a little like, that. like, this is how this goes wrong. Yeah, I guess I didn't anticipate the movie. I, I just like from a meta place, I don't anticipate the movie to go there to deal with that. Yeah, um, I think it's, it's. I just kind of feel like it's it's dealing with other stuff. But yeah, I mean, it is also Frankenstein. Like it's definitely mm-hmm. Frankenstein, and. And Frankenstein, though sympathetic, does kill some innocent people, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. How this movie wraps up has gotten a little hazy to me. So walk us through where he goes after he's in the house. Oh, my God. Robocop is hunting Bodiger. Bodiger uh, uh, is hunting Robocop. Uh, Dick, 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 whatever Dick's name is. <laughs> Dick Jones arms Bodiger and his gang with like man portable laser rifle 
cannons or whatever and they have a good time blowing up a city street with them yeah uh really crazy production note by the way they um i saw this in like the after the special features on it um they they they, they fucked up they almost killed themselves shooting that stuff because like they found a real streets that they could blow up with real abandoned buildings yeah and like some charges went off big right yep. on their shoulders and stuff like that and you can see it's in the movie but um it, a really effective great stuff for the movie yeah <laughs> well great. so kurtwood smith uh ended up being too close to an explosion and got in, he had glass pieces embedded into his face yeah and i guess <laughs> the story was that he received additional like stunt pay for the mishap. Yeah. And so then he jokingly jokingly said that he was trying to put himself closer to uh explosion so he could get extra money for the rest of the shoot. <laughs> got it. You got to you got to you got to respect that hustle. You know, you got to rise and grind. <laughs> sure. You got to rise and grind. He's just like, "Oh, hey, sweet. Boss, you think I could stand over here?" Yeah, I didn't know that was a way to make money. Great. No. Yeah, so very real things happening there also the scene where he gets arrested by robocop only to be released Mm -hmm. um that was the first scene that they had shot with him um and he uh he went to verhoven with the idea uh what if when they book me i just spit blood onto the police counter there and he describes he's like and i never worked with this guy before paul verhoven and i just see the wheels turning behind his head (laughs) and he, he says you want to spit blood? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and that became, uh, you know, kind of their, their everything that they could do to increase the gore and push him forward farther is what they were doing. Sure. Um, finally com- culminates in this huge confrontation at, I guess, a disused factory. Also the place where Alex Murphy was killed. Uh, Robocop successfully hunts down and kills all of Bodiger's gang. Yeah. Um, we get the amazing stuff with the guy getting dumped into toxic waste and then exploded on the front of a car. The melting man. Yeah. Wonderful melting man. And, uh, Robocop wins. And there's uh, another scene that they wanted to cut from the movie, but I guess it tested so well that the other MP MPA wanted to cut it to cut the exploding guy, but it tested really well. So they had to like, leave it in there. (laughs) had to leave it in you had to leave it in yeah people loved it and it, it just sort of ends sort of tra- i mean i think it's a really tragic movie because alex murphy's never getting his life back right and the, and he just kind of has to just be robocop he just continues to be robocop that's it um there's nothing else to do i mean and alex murphy isn't there he's a corpse animated by machinery like there's just weird fragments of him in there. Right. I think that the movie's pretty clear about that. He's dead. He's not alive. Yeah. They don't really yeah. play so much with the idea that it's a soul. It's just fragments, memory, neurons. I mean, they kind of, I don't know. I, I think that it's open to interpretation. Sure. Like, I think that's for you to decide about. He does continue to do things like spin his gun and that's, that's the shit that hit feels like a gut punch to me with the gun spinning because of like the connection to his son and like the, the looking at it and stuff like that. Like, yeah, you feel that. And it's so subtle. That's why this movie works so well for as grandiose and bombastic and gory as it is. 
the actual character pieces in it are really actually quite subtle. Like the things that the, the, the people are made of in this movie are subtle, right. uh, you know, and, and good and true and honest. I don't know. And so it seems like the sequels and the cartoon are very like the action figure version of RoboCop. Yeah. yeah it doesn't, it doesn't maintain any of this. No, so many of these eighties action movies, they got, they did really well yeah. on a low budget original. And then this, they, they were just like, mind that sequel. What is it about? It's about RoboCop fighting. Sure. Coming. What does that have to do with the first one? Nothing. That's just, we just want to play with the suit more, which apparently that suit was a nightmare. I can only imagine. Yeah. Like he never, <laughs> a little piece of trivia. You never actually see him get into a car. I would imagine it's impossible. Yeah. So they had to take off the whole bottom of the suit. So he kind of opens doors and starts to duck down and then they cut away because uh, he could only be in the top up of the suit in order to fit in any sort of car. There's a scene in this movie that feels unbelievably on the nose in terms of prescience. So there's the montage of RoboCop going around just like busting criminals, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, I think he busts a couple drug dealers. He stops a sexual assault that's in progress, shoots the dude's balls off. Right. Through, through her legs. Yeah, through her. You have suffered an emotional disturbance. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah, he's like, you will be seek help from an amount. Uh, yeah, he tells her from a counselor, a from a licensed counselor, yeah. trauma counselor. Yeah. Yes, it's exactly. so uh, dry and emotionless. It. It's great. But, you know, you got the job done. So I mean, she's very thankful. She runs and hugs him. She. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's really the takeaway there is that like there's nothing there. Like there's, there's, there's no human mm-hmm. there to throw your arms right. around. He's just a walking tank. He's a machine. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the one where he shows up because the guy who lost his election is holding city hall hostage. Mm-hmm. Come on, dude. The election was rigged. <laughs> he storms city hall. Uh-uh. He holds it hostage. Okay. What does he ask for in his demands? Do you remember? No, I do not. Okay. He wants a lot of money. Mm-hmm. He wants to have his office back. And he wants a car, a big, expensive car that gets shitty gas mileage, specifically his words. Yes. I mean, come on, dude. Like, where this is some uh, Jules Verne stuff. You actually have a time machine? Like, you were made, <laughs> you traveled to modern day to make this movie? It is incredible. He, he really has foresight. Well, I mean, I think he moved to America. I heard that, like, as his film career goes on in the States, like he started very angry and confused with America and the violence and the obsession over violence and the love of violence. And then he comes to have a different understanding of it. But I think this movie is his most raw reaction to that culture shock. I believe that. And I think that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that that is the type of stuff that someone seeing it so objectively was able to come up with yeah. kind of saw where it was going. Yeah. But we've always kind of, I don't know, we've been circling this drain for a while. Been circling this drain <laughs> for a while. I feel like we got to, well, you said we were going to talk about it. I mean, we got to talk about. Well, one more thing, the line, the brilliant way that he's able, because another thing that we haven't talked about, but one of his pro- pieces of programming is that he cannot kill uh, or he cannot arrest any of the senior management or maybe anybody who works for Omnicorp. Yes. And so That's in the right. final yes. scene, you do have, so the old man isn't as evil as the people working for him, actually, because 
he is the one in the final scene. Well, I guess his yeah. life is threatened too. So you could see it that way yes. as well. Who f- yeah. says you're That's fired. self-preservational. And then he's yeah. able to, Thank you. to kill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To kill Ronnie Cox. Ah, uh, poor Ronnie. Poor Dick Jones. <laughs> Which is amazing. And I did not see that coming. I should have seen that a mile away, but I was all oh, in my seat. Hey, that's another tie-in. You're fired. Ah, I'm fired. No, I'm fired. What's that? Back to the future. Oh, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Donald Trump and his favorite catchphrase, you fired. (laughs) Maybe he saw this movie and he thought that was a way to kill people. (laughs) Uh, You know, you got the Jan 6 thing going on there. You got the people who just want like uh, the coal rolling Jan 6 guy and the you're fired. I don't know, man. I think this dude was like, see in the future. You see in the future. Some people. Yeah, that's a great way to end the movie. It's very well. It's super good. Every beat of it is super tight. Mm -hmm. I, You know, I keep coming back to this like. This movie is very, very well written Mm -hmm. and you get a very nice result. Mm -hmm. Like you get a great movie out of this great script. You know what other movie we've talked about on the show that had a great fucking script? Hmm. Return of the Living Dead. (laughs) It has a- It's just tight. I mean, it's just so tight. It is tight like a drum, but it's not missing subtle character moments. No one said, ah, let's remove that. That's remove that. That doesn't move the story. Like they weren't like an engineer when they wrote it, they wrote it. It's a piece of art. Mm-hmm. It's an amazing, they're both amazing scripts, right? Like they have everything that they need in there and they're accounting for things that like, I don't think the writers of the remake were accounting for. All right. Well, let's get into it. The remake is bad. Yeah. It is a movie without merit in my opinion. I mean, maybe a little merit. So one thing first off is it's PG 13. Mm-hmm. Um, and not PG 13 in the eighties when PG 13 was like, Oh, you could do some fucked up shit out of PG 13, but like now PG 13. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. It's a Marvel movie. Yeah. Basically. Yep. But not like it's, it's a very uneasy Marvel movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you spend, but in a way, a lot of ways it follows that, that form. Right. So they brought in an all-star cast. Hundred million dollar budget. Our all stars? Gary Oldman, Michael Keaton, Gary Samuel Oldman. Jackson. Sam Jackson, yeah. I forgot about him in this movie. Yeah, but those are but like the lead, the lead is he's like a guy who's been in some TV stuff. Yeah. Well, he's in For All Mankind, which I didn't I still haven't watched that show. We did the main title <sighs> for it. I guess it's gotten <sighs> better. I don't know. He's the reason I can't watch oh, it. Oh, really? I can't stand this. Yeah. Guy. I hate to say that kind of stuff on a podcast. He's not going to listen to this, but like something about him makes me uneasy. Well, he's in the Suicide Squad too, so he's he's made some questions. Oh, he is in Suicide Squad. I forgot about Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. And then Abby Cornish is in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, but that was her only other big thing, really. I didn't see that movie. Who's Abby? Is it his wife? Yes. That's the only female in the movie, so she would have to be. You know what I like about the original RoboCop? Hmm. He's got a wife. She's just like a cop wife. You ever see her? You see her in that glimpse. She's just like like a cop wife. You know, she's got frizzy hair. (laughs) I see. She's just a real person. She's just a real person. She just looks like a lady who married a cop. Uh, You know, like they're just regular people. You see this one. She's just like, uh, she's very done up. All the time. 
she's given a bigger role in like the choice of what happens to him after he dies, which I appreciate because the idea that they could just like take this man's body without any family having anything to say about it and do what they want with it. Yeah. It's not necessary by any means. I appreciate the effort. Does she ever express any regret? She's see, pretty freaked out through most of it, but I know she actually like, he wants to kill himself and oh yeah, they use her to keep him, to manipulate him out of doing that. Well, she's not there when they do that. They kind of put that on him. I think there's like certain moments where he does stuff in front of the kid where she's kind of like, you're scaring our son. You know, I know, but I exactly she puts that on him. That's what I, I mean. I really yeah. wish she had been like, I'm so sorry I did this to you. Yeah, oh my I know. God, I don't think she ever expresses that at all. No, the scene never happens. <laughs> She's just happy like he's back all. and is like, stay with us, please. Yeah. One of the things that um, I don't like that they made him a person like in this movie, like he is he survives, so to speak. So the major difference is he is at the wheel. And that's what the movie's about. But they they tell you that he's not. He's like, which is even more torturous because he's fully there, but he can't control anything he's doing. He just has to watch himself. So this is no, he's not. This is the one thing that the movie, I think, actually does really well. And it's a it's a big idea. Um, but he thinks he's driving. Right. He thinks he's driving, but he's not. And that gets really, it does actually get really into some cyberpunk stuff. Um, so I give it a lot of credit there. And like, they make that explicit. Yeah. Like, no, no, no. He he thinks he's in charge, but the machine is in charge once the visor comes down. But that ends up being kind of untrue as he fights through it at the end. Yeah. I mean, that's like, to me, that's like one of the ultimate problems with a lot of these movies is that the, the final solution comes with punch harder. You really are in charge. You just have to break through the barrier. I remember I liked Iron Man. I'm not a big fan of Marvel movies. Uh, let me rephrase that. I fucking hate Marvel movies, but I did like the first Iron Man and I liked the first Guardians, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then I might have liked Ragnarok or something too. Um, so I went and saw Iron Man 2 when it came out. I was pretty excited about it. But the ending of that movie basically amounted to, and then Iron Man found a way to be stronger. Mm-hmm. There is no oh, that was smart, or oh, then that worked mm. out, or it was just like, Ugh! he just mm-hmm. like gritted harder. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and then I wrote the ending. Like, right. That's how the movie ended. And this movie had that exact same thing. Like in RoboCop, he overcomes the programming cleverly. The other guy has to fire that dude. Right. And we get that amazing moment here. It's just, I'm going to do it anyway. Just muscle through it. Yeah, right, right, right. I hate that shit. Yeah. It's so dumb. It's the laziest and then, he, and then he just did more. He just did it harder. Mm-hmm. So stupid. Stupid as fuck. The, this movie's got no heart. Yeah, I agree with that. Even though they crammed all of this, like um, the family story, the guilt, the son, all that is pushed into your face. There's something much more haunting about the way the original handles it. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, like I find myself asking, like, I hate her. Right. <laughs> you know, and I'm not like sympathetic, you know. Yeah. I don't know. There's no charisma in this movie anywhere. Nobody has any charisma. In this movie. I do. Like, I remembered a cool moment, but I think it, I thought it was cool for um, like when he's scanning the crowd and he's 
looking for anyone who's done crime. I was like, oh boy, it felt very minority report to me. Well, and that's also like the fear of like facial recognition cameras right now. Sure. Oh, speaking of minority report, this. Oh, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Doing, Imaginary forces. I fucking, what is this? The, the screens in the air that I got to sweep my hands. Like this is how I interact with. From minority report? It's all over in RoboCop. Oh, yeah. Who wants this interface? <laughs> this is not a, the swing your hands around wildly interface. Nobody wants that. The, like move that across. The, I would, the floating things. I would love that. I think I disagree. I'm going to have to disagree. Work for an hour. Go, go. Listen, try to edit a movie with your arms on ape hangers like this, going like this. In <laughs> but the if air. you could. Yeah, I guess if you're doing that much mov- movement. Um, you ever see the peripheral? No. Oh, it's a good show. It's on. Um, it's first off, it's written by William Gibson, the the man who invented cyberpunk as a genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was uh, uh, it, it's based on his novels um, and it's on Amazon Prime. It's very good. They have gestural interfaces. They look like this. Right. It's very much smaller. Yeah. It's just run your finger. Oh, uh, how do I turn that on? You just run your finger around <laughs> your thumb like that, you know, and you can do it in your pocket. Like it's not. Yeah. Some goofy ass shit, man. I fucking hate that shit. It's so stupid looking. It's just that's not a UI that anybody would ever want. Yeah. Ever. Also, this movie tries to pretend like that the Americans are the holdouts with this technology. We're the we're the you know we're the smart ones who have been saying no 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 you're not going to bring these robotic cops here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just find that a little hard to believe. I think it's a um. Well, I mean, like, I think it's a, um, what is that? It's not Posse Comitatus. It's the habeas corpus. You can't deploy um, active military in the continental, in the contiguous US, in the country to do law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of leaning into that, right? Mm-hmm. And also, it's just the 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 one senator who's against right. it. Right. Well, really. well no, I guess he's got a lot of people Like, on yeah, side. he's got a lot yeah. of support. Yeah. And like, he calls, yeah, he calls America robot phobic or someone does at some point. That's uh, Samuel Jackson uses that term. Yeah, I think he does. Yeah, which is funny because uh, my friends and I, under the influence of some stuff at one point, sure. Uh, we're talking about like what is going to be our generation's like great prejudice. Not that the old ones go away, but like what's going to be the one that really stands out for us? And we decided that it was going to be um, like cybernetic humans, <laughs> yeah, like humans that were created. I think the I think the great prejudice of millennials is trans people. Well, millennials? No. Yeah, absolutely. That's Dude, we're old. No, we're mostly. Old. I mean, I suppose if that doesn't resolve somewhat quickly, but we were just as People if, are gonna hang if on we to made it to old grannyhood, uh, we saw ourselves as being robot phobic, not being able to accept our uh, our children dating machine create artificial intelligent machines. That's weird. Yeah. I'd be pretty bummed out for them. Honestly, I can't, I'd never even occurred to me that my daughters might marry a machine. That seems weird. But if that's what we all are anyway, coming back to the beginning of the cyberpunk trope. Yeah. I just don't think that's likely. It wasn't, it wasn't about it being likely. <laughs> yeah. You were high. I understand. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> I, I got you. I got you. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Um, yeah. I don't know, man. Like you spend so much time in the remake too, in the training stuff 
And it's all just like, look how cool. Yeah. Look how cool. He's so cool. And then like it all culminates with how is he doing this? He's a better machine. He's unstoppable. And like that's like it's so fucking it's lame, dude. Everything about this movie is just lame and misguided. And it's so squandered, you know. You had Keaton. You had such, I don't know. It just pissed me off and left me feeling very, very sad. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, it genuinely sent me into a depression. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I I was upset. I didn't sleep very well. <laughs> I'm not joking. I watched this last night and anybody who looks at my Twitter, I tweeted, I don't know how to cope with this. Or something <laughs> like that. I tweeted, I don't want to be around. Like, it was, you just rewatched the original. But I do think I that the sequels had already kind of done some damage. This one brought it back more close, closer to the original than it seems like the sequels had done. Well, I didn't watch the sequels either recently. Like people ask me like, Oh God, why did you subject yourself to that? And I said, well, for work, like this right. movie doesn't matter to me. It doesn't even exist to me. Like there's RoboCop and then there's things that aren't RoboCop. That's fine. I just had to watch it for work. I would never have watched it. It hurt my mm-hmm. soul. And actually this is a big part of why I think we can just, when we do total recall, we can ignore the remake. Yeah, I feel good we, about we could that. Just, I, I don't think my heart could take another remake of a Verhoeven film. We also I don't just think it's okay for me. Don't have much to say about it because it was bad. When you're when you've got so much to talk about with the first one, you can't really hold a candle to it. So like, it does seem kind of like a waste of time. We got a lot of movies to watch. This is the thing that I always get hung up on with these cybernetic movies: um, the loss of touch. Like they put him into that. First off, it does have this horrifying reveal when you realize he's a pair of lungs, a heart, and they a pull head. They that away, yeah. and also one hand. It's pretty cool. And one hand. Yeah. I I don't think very iRobot. His reaction is big enough. Well, he's suicidal. No, I mean he's just ah, there's nothing left. I think it, you would just like it would shatter your brain and you would just never recover. Yeah. <laughs> you would just start shrieking uncontrollably, and they would have to put you under. Uh, and then you would probably just never believe that was true. You would just forever believe that was a dream. That could not be real. <laughs> but he's strong, Greg. They chose him for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. For optics. Yeah. Um, and it also seems like it's implied that he was intentionally blown up by the company guy. Isn't that right? At the end, like he gets him for attempted murder. Right. Or for the murder of him. Uh, so the co- so the company the, the uh, well because they couldn't find movie, a good match they were going through all so they just picked this guy out and blew him up for fun right because they they were going through all these guys that had been hurt in one way or another and saying oh we can't choose him for X Y reason we can't choose him right. for this reason when you see like I wish they had shown a little bit more of the explosion that got him because like he's not missing any limbs, but you don't really get a clear picture. And I kind of think that the movie wanted to imply, I wish they had gone all the way with that, that like you could have made a much better recovery. But they just peeled <laughs> the stuff away. Well, they do that. Yeah. We cut you to that, pieces. That happens in the, the first fun. movie. He, he could keep his arm, his other arm and they discuss it and they say, Oh no, 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 no just reason. take it off. That's right. Yeah. But I mean, his, he, by that point, he's not, conscious he's not he doesn't exist anymore his brain is gone yeah but we they're telling us that as we're looking through his pov that's true that's true from an audience perspective if you're seeing that movie for the first time you don't know that so it feels that was the first moment that i was like oh god not the first moment but again this corporation's just like they have taken this body yeah there's a real body horror aspect to both of these 
yeah, I did think body horror a couple of times for sure. I agree with you. Just like the sensation of like, I have to go and try like for me having kids, I just imagine I'm going to go now and reunite with my child and give them a hug. And every inch of my body is unfeeling metal Mm -hmm. except for my face. Um, and just like, and I, I'm not, I'm going to pantomime this hug, right? Like I can't feel any part of this and I want to make sure I don't crush the kid. But you also don't feel the emotional parts of it anymore either. You're like, I am supposed to do this. Well, in the remake, he does. In the remake, but he loses that very quickly. They turn it off later. Yeah, they just right. shut it he off. He turns yeah. his uh, endorphin drop his dopamine, dopamine down to two, all the way to 2% right, or yeah. something. But that to me is like the scene in the, like yeah piloting your tank body to try to be like dad is one of the most upsetting that's some real body horror shit for mm-hmm. me uh i have a hard time with that mm-hmm. um yeah but otherwise i didn't really like this movie yeah not completely unredeemable well unredeemable yes but it had some some moments we're talking about I had a thought earlier, which was that like, I knew I wasn't going to necessarily be able to put into exact words, everything about this movie that made it a piece of shit, Mm -hmm. but it is a piece of shit. But does it make you appreciate the first movie more? Dramatically. There you go. Yeah. For real. Like it makes the first movie seem um, like a goddamn (laughs) cinematic miracle. Walk away with that positive. Yeah. What huge positive. I was going to say before the whole reason for having him in the first movie for building the robot out of a person instead of just building another version of the ED 209 is so that his conscious, his ability as a cop, his moral compass is there. Right. Yeah. So that is one thing I want to say too, about the original movie is that evil or no, everybody, uh, Miguel Ferrer's character, Bob Morton. Okay. The old man, the CEO, um, they all really believe in the project and that they're doing good things. Bob Morton is trying to get ahead, but he is invested in the idea that RoboCop is a real solution, a real human solution, and provides all of the things that a human does uh, to this problem. The only person who doesn't care about the outcome of their project is Dick Jones, mm-hmm. who has that great bathroom scene where he's like, who cares if it works? Yeah. It was about selling the parts. Right. It was about selling the warranties. Like that was jobs. That was factory lines. That was money. Um, uh, Miguel is uh, Bob Morton is much more of an idealist yeah. actually, despite being a huge piece of shit. Um, and I thought that was interesting. And then you see this movie, actually nobody in this movie thinks this is a good idea. Yeah. Nobody. The, the doctor who does it thinks it's a terrible idea. Right, right. Gary Oldman. He's doing it for ulterior motives. He wants to get his funding. The CEO knows it's a bad idea. He wants it because it will help him get real robots into the States. And uh, everybody else involved thinks it's a terrible, terrible, terrible idea from top mm-hmm. to bottom. Jones is just like, I am the trickle down economics. <laughs> I will create all these jobs with my robot. Oh, Dick Jones. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's real mm-hmm. supply side uh, there. But yeah, it's, um, I don't know. Is it more cynical? Maybe that's it. Maybe the remake is cynical to the point of revulsion. Like, it's like, it's like, yeah, I can't actually connect with this level mm-hmm. of cynicism. I'm not on the inside. I'm not with it. 
Like it's not bringing me along for it. The movie is cynical. Mm-hmm. It's not satirizing the cynical nature of our society right. and inviting me into that with it. This movie was made by cynical people who have cynical ideas about things and they are now I'm like there's a revulsion right. to that for me. Well, if you're making a remake off of a huge property like this, it stands to reason that the whole reason <laughs> you're doing it, dollar yeah. dollar bills. Yeah, it's cynical right from the yep. get-go, man. That's true. Hundred million dollar budget. Yep. That's all hundred million? Well, estimated. Now with these big ones, they don't say for sure, but I know they've yeah. been they've tried to make a sequel to this one for a while and I don't know what the roadblocks have been, but well, this one didn't make any goddamn money. I think I'm sure that's a big one, but sometimes they like, yeah. Hold on, RoboCop. I just want to know remake gross. Uh, RoboCop 2014. Oh God. Uh, it it grossed 58 million. Yeah, in domestically. Lifetime gross of $58 million. I think internationally it broke the $100 million, but like by $8 million. So That's insane, dude. Yeah. Pretty bad. That's extremely, extremely bad. So you're vindicated. Yeah. Like this was a bomb. A huge bomb. I mean, we have plenty of RoboCops in every other <laughs> superhero movie. Marvel movie, they're everywhere. We don't really need a we don't really need a franchise of its own. No, I mean, I fully agree. I, yeah, I, I, you don't. Yep. You don't need it. Nobody needed RoboCop the remake. Nobody needed it. Movie with a lot of love. Movie with not so much love. Yeah, that's true. That's really it. RoboCop had love. There was real love going into the original RoboCop. The second one was made by the corporate machine that RoboCop was satirizing. Fighting against. Yeah. You nailed it. Oh, one thing. Uh, I have to acknowledge this really quickly because it's been on my mind ever since I saw the first trailer for the remake. The look of Robocop, mm. the uh uh with the the red line over it and stuff. Uh-huh. Uh that is um there was a uh laser tag toy when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Um hold on a second. Look, Google this real quick, just because I want to be black laser tag. 80s yeah there it is 1986 laser tag that is the design inspiration for robocop 2014 um those are still like the coolest fucking laser blasters that anybody ever made by the way Mm, awesome mm -hmm. look at those suckers they're so fucking neat very cool it literally it looks like he's made out of that gun rachel was very excited about his 2.35 aspect ratio when he looked through his glasses Oh, I thought that was, yeah, I thought that was a strange choice, actually. I think they probably released this in IMAX, and it looked very cool in IMAX. Oh, maybe. I never thought about that. Like you were inside his mask. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. Well, it also, I mean, it does differentiate his view, but like, I think if you would want, it would just be in every direction, you know? Yeah, sure. But he's seeing the panorama. Yeah. Around him. I guess that's true. All right. I think we've done it. I like steamrolled you on this one. I don't think so. Okay, good. I feel like I talked a lot. I feel like 
the cyberpunk stuff at the beginning is really cool. And I think you tell it very succinctly. But no, I think we had a good conversation after that. Why, thank you. You're welcome. Well, this has been Midnight Local, the coolest podcast of all time. Oh, I like that. An observable fact. <laughs> observable fact. Our producer is Annie Villalobos. Big thank you to her and also to Heather Vaughn, who did the artwork. Unbelievable artwork. We love this artwork. Yeah, I love it so much. Can't wait to put it on some t-shirts. Not Heather Graham. <laughs> Not Heather Graham. Heather Vaughn. Uh, and you should check out her Twitter. She's very cool. She's a cool people's. And then you like to thank Epidemic Sound, which I find quite fun. <laughs> quite funny. No, I don't want to thank him this time. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell him uh, Epidemic, you should be thanking me. <laughs> That's they should. Uh, you're welcome to Epidemic Sound. This is how we're gonna end this. <laughs> See you next time on Midnight Local. Where can they hear it? Anywhere you get your podcasts. Yeah, or on YouTube at youtube.com slash midnight local. Go listen, watch it, click links. Yeah. Do things. All right, kids. Stay safe out there. Bye-bye.